Hi, friends, and welcome to another episode of Doable Discipleship, the Saddleback Church podcast designed to help you deepen your faith, or as we love to call it, the show that helps you grow. My name is Jason. I'm on the spiritual growth team at Saddleback Church, and this is another special edition, a, a weekend edition of Doable Discipleship. Our, our guest speaker at Saddleback this weekend is Clay Scroggins. Clay is an author of a number of books, including his most recent one, The Aspiring Leader's Guide to the Future. He is the host of the How to Lead podcast. He was a pastor at North Point Church for a number of years, and we were thrilled to have him here at Saddleback this weekend. I was able to sit down with Clay, and we talk about leadership. We talk about his weekend message at Saddleback Church. We dive a bit deeper into that. We just had a great conversation, so I encourage you um, to stick around and listen to uh, my conversation with Clay Scroggins. Right. Clay Scroggins, thank you so much for being here with us today. Really appreciate you taking the time. Jason, grateful to get to be here. Uh, you know, what do they say on the radio? Longtime listener, first time caller. <laughs> you know, that's how I feel. I mean, I have listened to Saddleback for so many years, but it is a uh, massive, massive blessing to get to um, to get to be in, at Saddleback this weekend, but also to get to be on the pod with you today. So thanks. Awesome. We're so happy to have you. I wanted to start... So, uh, so for those of you listening, I'm going to break this conversation up into two different topics. The first topic we're going to be talking about is leadership, and then we're going to dive into um, the message that Clay spoke this weekend. So um, if you haven't listened to Clay's weekend message at Saddleback, I encourage you to go um, and watch it online at saddleback.com slash watching. You can find it there and then come back and uh, enjoy the conversation because we're going to be spoiling his talk. So, you know, I want you to, <laughs> it's almost as if it's like an MCU movie or something like that. You want to watch it first before you get the spoiler filled conversation. Uh, but let's start by talking about your latest book, uh, Clay. It's, it's called The Aspiring Leader's Guide to the Future, uh, which yeah. just came out in January. And again, we'll have links to Clay's books in the show notes too. So, so make sure to check those out. But in this latest book, it talks about the future is demanding a different kind of leader. So again, please, everybody who's listening, go check out this book. But I, I, I just wanted you to give a little bit of an, of an intro, if you will. What are you talking about when you're talking about a different kind of leader? Because I'm, I'm sure that pricks people's ears up. They go, oh, uh, I, you know, I, I'm doing this wrong. <laughs> What's the difference <laughs> that we're talking about? Well, uh, I, I, would, I would not say anybody's doing it wrong, clearly. I think there's there are ways that we impact other people. There are ways that we influence other people that won't change, that haven't changed, that probably aren't going to change. <laughs> but I don't think any of us can deny the fact that the world, the world is different. The world is so different today than it was two years ago. Yeah. And I think I have a hunch. I think most people have a hunch that the world will be even more different in two years from now. Sure. So really the, you know, that Wayne Gretzky quote, the great hockey player that said, you know, I don't, I don't skate to where the puck has been. I skate to where the puck is going. Mm -hmm. The idea is the idea of the book is really let's hang, let's hang something on the wall. Let's hang our, our best prognostication, our best guest, our, our best ability at fortune telling, anticipating where is leadership headed. And then let's try to, 
continue to, or maybe even in some cases begin to develop into the kind of leader that the future is going to demand. And some of that means hearkening back to some principles that we've learned in the past and maybe applying them in different ways. And in some cases, uh, I think it, uh, it does require us to uh, learn some new things. Uh, I think a lot of us, and I have found this in myself as well, a lot of us are calibrated uh, for a world that no longer exists. Yeah. We're dialed into a world where we, we know how to lead in a world that just doesn't exist anymore. So how do we anticipate the future, try to predict the future, and then try to develop into the kind of leader that the future is going to demand? That's really interesting. So, so, so as you've been thinking about the future, how, how do you see these principles that we want to focus on and go back to be like, okay, we can understand this. We can, we understand this. How do you see those starting to play out? Like what trends are you seeing have a, have a, have a um, effect on how we think about those principles? Well, the, the, the book, the subtitle of the book is nine surprising ways that leadership is changing. I've had so much fun talking to organizations, whether they're secular organizations, Christian organizations, churches, nonprofits, yeah. uh, Christian owned businesses, medium businesses, small businesses. It's been so fun having this conversation because I, my main goal in all this, Jason, is really to try to be a conversation starter. Mm -hmm. I think the goal is let's start talking about this. Let's start talking about how do we think the world is changing? I mean, just some of the obvious ways, uh, the way information is exploding. I mean, the amount of information that's being created every day, yeah. it is impossible to keep up with everything. There was a day where if, if you wanted to be a leader, what you would do is, is you would learn everything you could learn about a particular topic and your knowledge accumulation would almost invite you into or push you into being a leader in that space. Uh, that that idea of leadership is just no longer true because it's impossible. It's impossible to know everything there is to know about any topic. Uh, anyone who has kids has experienced <laughs> this. I mean, my kids, their breadth of knowledge on so many different topics is so much more vast than mine has ever been because they've read a wiki article on cryptocurrency or, yeah. <laughs> or whatever the topic may be. And they, there's a good chance that they know more than I know, but this idea that you've got to know everything in order to be a leader, it just, um, it is a, it is a way of the past. Uh, and, and are you a gamer, Jason? Do you play video games? Mildly, mildly. I don't have mildly. as much time with kids to play video games. So. Yeah, same. <laughs> well, I'm not really either, but, and, and being a mild video gamer, you might know this term, you know, the term noob. Oh, sure. That, that's what, you know, that's yeah. kind of a, uh, it's a, it's a, it's an antagonistic word. It's kind of yeah. a word that we use to poke at people that are new in the video game and world. And that describes you know, somebody, me pretty much. I, I, if me, I was me, playing me against well, people, I would be well. described that way. Yeah. <laughs> I would say in the future, I think we're all going to be perpetually stuck in that noob state. Mm. Uh, we're all going to be noobs at so many different things, whether it's social media, whether it's, you know, how do we make connections on LinkedIn, whether it's, uh, how do we understand technology? How do we stay up to date with technology? How do we stay up to date with uh, what, whatever the topic may be? Information is just being created so quickly, so rapidly. It is exploding in such a way that we just cannot be an expert on any topic or we can't be an expert like we once were. So I'm prescribing three words 
I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, which I know is technically four words because do not is being used as a contraction. But still. <laughs> <laughs> Those three words, I don't know, are words that have to be in the arsenal, that have to be in the vocabulary of every leader of the future, that we have to be willing to say, hey, I don't know. And the beauty of saying I don't know is you're inviting other people in. You're inviting other people to say, hey, I need you, which yeah. is the most, it is the most contagious, the most... Um, uh, irresistible invitation that anybody can be offered at work to say, Hey, I can't get everything done on my own. I don't know enough. I don't have perspective enough. And I need you to come be a part of this and help me. And those three words, I don't know, are a great antidote for the information explosion that we're experiencing. And they're words that leaders of the future are going to have on ready. Well, it, it, Oh, that's so good. So uh, on, on staff here at the Lake Forest campus, we have a phrase that we've adopted um, over the last probably two years, which is um, with is the way. Hmm. And it's just that idea of we're better at this when we do it together. I don't, there's, there's so much that I don't know that I, I can bring in other people, even if it's something that you feel that I got a good handle on this, it still helps to bring in other people other voices because with they may have the way. a different perspective. They may, yeah, exactly. So we have shirts that say with as the way on it now as a staff <laughs> and what, um, but yeah, I, I think that it speaks exactly what you're talking about. And I, I've been, I've been thinking about this in real time because I, I, th I think what you were talking about, about the, this change that we're experiencing and even, even just from the last 15 years, it's really just exploded. I, I I recently started to go back and read some of my books from college, the books that I was reading. I was studying mm. um, international relations at the time. Mm. And so I, I, I found some of these old books and I picked them up and it's, and these are not, not that old. These are from, you know, 2005, 2010 kind of range, but it's so clear that there's just this gaping hole in what they're mm. talking about because they don't address stuff like social media and they don't address mm. things like the booming of the internet age, this information age kind of stuff. And and so I'm reading this being like, things are so different now. <laughs> so different now. Right. And it's just, it's crazy to think how, like exactly what you were saying is that our job is to think ahead and, and to stay up with right. what's happening and knowing. I love that. I don't know, you know, but I'll ask somebody who might, or yeah. I'll talk, or, or I can talk about it with somebody, and we'll come to a best practice or a best guess about it. <laughs> yeah, let me. I mean, I, just to piggyback on your statement, "with is the way," which yeah. I love that phrase. There is a uh, there's a little line that we use all the time in leadership circles. Mm -hmm. Everyone's most people have heard it before, but J Jim Collins wrote "Good to Great." Yeah. Uh, "Good to Great." I mean, it is on the. Mount Rushmore of leadership books. Yeah. I mean, every leader's got it. I mean, I'll probably have it right behind me somewhere on that um, on that bookshelf. Yeah. But the um, he's got a phrase in the middle of the book where he talks about, hey, if when you're beginning out with a team, you you you're going to want to focus on what you're going to focus on. What are we doing? What's the mission? What what are we trying to accomplish? But he said, don't forget that before you get to what, you really need to start with who, mm. who, who. And he uses a little this little phrase. He says, you got to get the right people on the bus. Get the right yeah. people on the bus. And as you were talking about with is the way I was reminded of that, that even, even the word right, I think is changing that who the right people are. There sure. was a day where I think unintentionally right meant same mm. right meant like me. 
that I was just naturally predisposed. And I don't think I'm the only one. I think it's in all of us to naturally and almost um, unintentionally and without even noticing it, that we assess or we even project potential on people that look like us, have the same educational background as us, came from come from the same area that we yeah. come from, have the same uh, work experience that we have, speak the same language that we have. We naturally, uh, we, 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 we label them with more potential than we do people that might be different. And in the future, because the world is changing, because, you know, for the first, this 2020 census, for the first time ever, under 18 citizens of the United States, uh, white men and women were no longer in the majority for the mm. first time ever. Yeah. I mean, our, our world, our world is changing, but the United States is changing. And the way my kids understand diversity, the way my yeah. kids understand uh, who the right person is, is just, and I use that with quotations. Sure. You can't see that if you're listening <laughs> to this air quotes. Um, it's just different. It's become, it's, it's different than it once was. And so we cannot miss the idea that right cannot mean same. That sometimes people that you would have said, oh, that's the wrong person because they didn't go to the same school I went to, or they don't have the same background. I didn't have the same education. Those might be the people that help me see the right way, help me make the right decisions and help me become the right kind of leader. But God uses those kind of people to shape us, to change us, to point something out in us, to help me see in a way that I wouldn't have seen before. I mean, marriage is like the greatest (laughs) example ever of teaching us this. I mean, the first few years of marriage, I thought the whole goal of it was to get my wife to see life the way I see life because it's the right way to see life. But I have learned instead of fighting to try to get her to get on my side and see it my way, the best way to live is to understand that God's granted me this gift of seeing life through my eyes Mm. and seeing life through her eyes. And she sees it different than I do. And it's a, um, it's a massive gift that he's given me to be able to see that way. And that, that is leadership of the future. And that's different. That's different mm-hmm. than what we may have grown up with. That's good. I, I wanted to ask you too about influence because there's a lot of people who probably think, okay, this is a conversation about leadership. I don't know if this really applies yeah. to me, to my life. But at Saddleback, we all always teach like everybody has the opportunity because everybody has the opportunity to influence others. So if you just think about if you think about your influence with others as leadership, then we should talk about leadership kind of stuff. So I I just wanted to get some just some, I don't know, encouragement or some thoughts from you for people who have maybe never seen themselves as leaders. How can they start to think of themselves a little bit differently? Jason, I cannot believe that this is so kind of you to ask me this question because this is my favorite question on the planet. I'm so glad I stumbled upon it. (laughs) I could not talk about myself. I couldn't talk about the way I see life without talking about this. In 2017, I released a book called How to Lead When You're Not in Charge. Mm. And it was really just a... It was my way of articulating the journey that I've been on in leadership. I've been a at our I've been I've worked at a church called North Point Community Church or North Point Ministries in Atlanta for almost twenty years. Andy yeah. Stanley's our senior pastor, and uh, I was a I was a student pastor for years, and then I became a campus pastor. And about six months ago, I, because I've had so many opportunities to talk about this idea of influence yeah. and leadership, I um, made the bold leap of resigning just to be able to do more speaking to organizations yeah. and companies and businesses on leadership. But I um, I bumped into this this 
idea of what you're talking about that, oh, I, I, I would get a promotion and I would think, oh, finally I yeah. can lead now because I've got more power. I have more authority. And then I would become a campus pastor at one of our larger locations. Oh, now I can lead now. <laughs> and every time I was met with disappointment because mm -hmm. I was believing a lie. I was believing that leadership is authority, that leadership is a, a position, that leadership is a job title. And I was missing this foundational element of leadership that ultimately leadership is influence. And to your point, it doesn't matter where you are in your organization. It doesn't matter stay at home mom, stay yeah. at home dad. It doesn't matter if you are a babysitter for a living. It doesn't matter if you're a nanny. It doesn't matter if you're an intern, middle level manager. If you want to get people to move, if you want to get people to change, if you want to get people to see life differently or do life differently, the only way to do that, the best way to do that, but honestly, the only way to do that is to develop, to cultivate influence and then to leverage that influence to help people, to, to love people better, to yeah. serve people better. So to your point, when we realize that, when we start to understand leadership in that context, it really does, uh, we're all, uh, we all in, end up awaken to this idea that leadership is ultimately it's it's ultimately influence and if you can lead as an intern if you can influence people as an intern i promise you you will be a better boss when you get direct reports because nobody wants to work for someone that is using that command and control style that is yeah. uh, it's just outdated of hey you need to do this because i said you need to do it because <laughs> i am in charge that has never really worked, but it's certainly not going to work in the future. The future of leadership is, I believe, it is with people that understand how to cultivate influence and then how to leverage that influence, whether they're in charge or not. Well, yeah, and I, I think what's I think what's underneath this whole idea is the power of relationship. That's what it seems That's is, right. is at its core. What we're talking about with influence is, is if we're talking about building healthy relationships with people who then look to you and trust you and think of you right. in a little bit different way. They're like, okay, I, I, I can, I can vibe with what he's saying a little bit because I trust him. I have a relationship with this person. So I trust that what they're saying, you know, is, is probably a good idea or, or I want to follow it. what this person is saying or suggesting or whatever. It, that's the core is building these, you know, healthy relationships underneath it. Daniel Coyle wrote a book called uh, Culture Code, mm -hmm. which is a terrific leadership book. And he tells the story of um, the San Antonio Spurs basketball coach, Greg Popovich. Sure. Who, I think he's won five, I don't know, four or five world championships in, yeah. a, in a small market town. San Antonio is not the biggest city in America, clearly, but um, they, I, don't, they, I guess they don't even have a baseball team. They don't have a football team. But so in a small market, it's pretty difficult. Your, your, um, your salary cap is, or your, your, the salary that you're paying your players is usually a little bit lower. But um, when they asked his former players, they said, hey, what makes Coach Popovich such a unique coach, such an inspiring coach? All of his players kind of resonated with these two big ideas. They said, okay, number one, he would hold up the standard. And if you did not meet the standard, he would let you know about it, <laughs> which is a mark of a great leader. Most people are not willing to do that. Most people are not willing to say, hey, here's the standard. It's going to be clear. And I'm going to let you know when you have not met the standard. Yeah. But it was quickly followed up by, but the second thing is we were so convinced that he believed in us mm. enough 
but he believed in us so much that he knew that we could hit it. And that motivated us to continue to work and continue to try, continue to hustle. And so I really think those two aspects of relationship, because it's not relationship, meaning I'm going to say all the nice things all the time and I'm just going to, you know, be kind and loving and squishy and ooey gooey and mushy. No, it means sometimes I'm going to have a direct conversation and say, hey, I have told you this is the mark and you have not hit the mark, but... There's enough of a relationship where you are convinced that I believe in you. I think you have what it takes yeah. to hit the mark, which means you're going to wake up every day going, all right, I'm going to, no matter how yesterday went, whether I hit it or whether I didn't hit it, I'm going to get up today with the motivation that I'm going to try. I'm going to get up and try again. And honestly, I mean, that's the image of God. That's the image of God in us. It's be holy as I am holy, mm. but it's my grace is sufficient even in your weaknesses. It's yeah. the same model that God uses really to say, hey, it's repentance that's going to lead you, excuse me, it's my kindness that's going to lead you to repentance. I'm going to love you so much that you're going to want to never stop trying. Your trying doesn't make me love you, but it's because I love you that it's going to make you want to try. It really is, uh, I think it's the image of God in us that uh, Daniel Quill identified and Greg Popovich, but that's the kind of leader I'm aspiring cool. to be. And um, I think that's the kind of leader that every single one of us want to work for. It's the kind of leader yeah. we want to hire. It's the kind of leader that hopefully we all want to become. Yeah. It also helps for Greg Popovich, Popovich having Tim Duncan and Tony Parker in Monte Ginobili. Doesn't hurt, it helps man, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly helps. Yeah. Right. So, uh, so is there, is there anything over your years of thinking about leadership? Is there anything that you have changed your mind on as you've thought about leadership? I think there was a day where I thought, um, if I handle this conflict correctly, it will go smoothly. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I am now convinced that conflict is always messy. And no matter how good you handle it, it will always be messy. It sounds like you uh, have one some of the stories, uh, you know, well, to support that belief. <laughs> I mean, anyone who has ever been in management, anyone who has ever managed people. Uh, I just got off the phone right before I yeah. was on the phone with you. I was on the phone with a guy that I have the privilege of coaching. He's mm. a uh, vice president at a university, large university. Uh, and he's got a person on his team that he's going to have to have a conversation with mm. tomorrow. That's going to be hard. Mm. And that was one thing I reminded him is just, Hey, remember you've prepared, you've prayed about this. You care about this person. You are courageously speaking into his life and it is not going to go the way you want it to go. It just never does. It's never easy. It's one of the, um, in the Aspiring Leader's Guide to the Future, one of the surprising ways that leadership is changing. I talk about, I have a chapter on conflict. Mm -hmm. Conflict is never easy. It never goes well, and it's always messy. That is yeah. just the thing that's never going to change. I mean, you, you know this, Jason, we're having more conflict today than we've ever had before. I mean, okay. there was a day where, there was a day where, uh, sexual orientation, gender identity, racial reconciliation, where those were taboo topics yeah. at work. But the taboo topics of today or of yesterday are today's interview questions. Yeah. I mean, I'm in, a, I'm in interviews with people where they're saying, hey, tell me what your organization did in response to the murder of George Floyd. Mm. And I would go, tell me your name again. Like, <laughs> like, I mean, this I'm is sorry. How is this the first question? This is exactly. interesting. <laughs> this is such a complex conversation mm. and you're wanting, you're coming out of the gate with this question. You know, Hey, tell me what is the, what is your organization's view on 
transgender people. I mean, yeah. I'm like, hang on a second. Like, I don't, I don't even know you that well. <laughs> and we're about to dive into such a complex, emotionally charged conversation. Yeah. And it's made me realize that we, despite the fact that it never goes well, if we're going to be leaders of the future, we have to be willing to engage in conflict. Mm. The, the way we're having conflict these days where we're, I mean, unfortunately, the, the red states are getting more red. The blue states are getting more blue. Yeah. We are surrounding ourselves with people that think like us. And then we're lobbing criticisms over social media onto the other side. Exactly. And that is just, now that might, that might be okay in the world, but as Jesus followers, we are called to a different standard. We are called to say, Jason, no matter who you voted for, I am with you. Mm-hmm. Now let's talk about politics. Yeah. No matter what your view on masks is, I am with you and I'm for you and nothing's going to tear us apart. No matter what you think about vaccines, I am on your side mm-hmm. because you and I are believers in Jesus. We're followers of Jesus. That is just, uh, it is just not that way anymore. And so learning how to have productive, healthy, contentious, emotionally charged, high stakes conversation that's productive that leaves us at a place where we can still be reconciled, where we can still have a relationship. It is a lost art and it is a, I believe it's something that the future is going to demand of all of us. And um, the more we can become that kind of leader, I think the better off our society will be. Completely agree. So, so, uh, so on the back of that, what are a couple of things that people who are listening can start doing now, start doing this week, to, uh, to start to think about their leadership abilities in a better way. Well, let me, since we're talking about conflict, let me just give you a few in that um, arena. Yeah, great. Um, in the, the chapter on conflict, I really try to lay out a plan. There's, there's one of the things that we miss about conflict is that you can always prepare for conflict. And I think, I think a lot of times we, th- we feel like we're victims to it, that it caught us off guard, you know? Well, he asked me what I thought and I had to tell him. No, you didn't have to tell him in that moment. You know, I mean, I, I have learned to employ this tactic in my marriage. Yeah. My Read wife the room. To, yeah, <laughs> exactly. My wife will want to engage in something that I can tell is a really big deal to her. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what, what time our kids go to bed? This is, this is fresh bread. This is this morning. <laughs> my wife was very frustrated at me because one of our kids slept in and you could tell he was grumpy because he hadn't gotten enough sleep and it was because he didn't go to bed early enough last night. And she told him to go to bed but he didn't, he went upstairs and hung out with his older siblings. Mm. And why did he do that? Well, because I told him that he could. And so I undermined her leadership. And so this we morning the I had, <laughs> that's right. She wanted to discuss that, but I was not ready to discuss that because I was just realizing that I was in the wrong. And so I had to say, I hear you. This is a big deal to you. Would you let me gather my thoughts? Mm. And once I've gathered my thoughts, could we then engage in this conversation? Because I care about you and because I know this is a really big deal to you, I want to make sure that I put some thought into this conversation. Mm. Then what I encourage people to do is to use these four A's. Affirm, ask, acknowledge, and advise. Affirm, ask, acknowledge, and advise. And if you prepare, you can prepare for those four. You can prepare. What do I want to affirm? So what do I want to tell my wife is, hey, I'm on your side, no matter what, I am on your side. I can affirm that. And whatever, you know, last night, that was an that was a unusual situation. I'm sorry that happened, but I'm on your side going forward. Number two, 
I want to ask, I want to go, Hey, tell me more about why bedtime is so important to you. Tell me more about why you want our kids to go, go to bed in at the moment that you tell them to go to bed. And then I want to acknowledge, I want to say, okay, I hear you based on what you're saying. This is what I hear you saying. A lot of times uh, we do premarital counseling with young couples and you know, we'll, we'll, the, the, the time we get together on conflict is my favorite. We'll mm. tell one of them, all right, bring your latest, greatest conflict. It's always about in-laws. <laughs> Every <laughs> single time it's about in-laws. And so I'll say, all right, Jason, uh, what's your wife's name, Jason? Alicia. Alicia. I'll say, yeah. Jason, I want you to tell Alicia, tell her what's bothering you about this latest conflict. And you'll say, well, I just, I, I wish you wouldn't talk to your mom about everything that we talk about. Mm. And then I'll say, okay, Alicia, can you acknowledge what he said? Can you speak back to him what he said? And she'll say something like, oh, so you're telling me you don't want me to ever talk to my mom again? <laughs> okay, that is not what I said. That is, that is not. Let's go back to is, how we said, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Let's see how I mean, that we, got we, crossed. We, yeah. That's right. We know the power of acknowledgement. We know the power of speaking back to someone what they said so that they feel heard. And so it's affirming what you want them to know. It's building safety. It's yeah. asking. It's seeking curiosity. It's acknowledging. It's closing that loop, letting them know, I hear what you're saying. And then it's advised. Then it's bring what you want to say. But only then. And sometimes it changes because sometimes you, when you ask a question and learn something new and acknowledge that, it ends up changing what you're going to advise. The two things we can control, we can't control what the other person is going to uh, how the other person is going to handle conflict, but we can control how much we prepare and we can control the order that we go in. And yeah. so if you'll go in that order, affirm, ask, acknowledge, advise, as opposed to the reverse, most people rip off the text message or say the, say the first thing that comes to mind. Mm -hmm. And when we do that, what you end up doing is you end up having to, uh, you, you end up advising first, you end up having to acknowledge that you were wrong, having to ask for forgiveness, and then having to affirm that you still enjoy the relationship or the job or whatever it may be. So yeah. you can always control the preparation and the order. Well, I, I, yeah. I, not being afraid of the depth is sounds like it's, it's such a key thing. It sounds like that mm. ask step, that second a is so vital because it's that opportunity to, you know, to sit and say, I, I I'm not just going to say, okay, she's, uh, you know, upset about something. I, I see that I'm going to do better, but instead it's saying, I want to value what you think about this. And I want to ask you about That's it. Great. I, I want to go deep into that. Why to understand you better. That's great. So that I can be an advocate for you. Another a, so that I can be an advocate or oh, there it is. Your wife. You're adding to this. This is brilliant. There you Thank go. You. <laughs> this was the whole point of this conversation. We got Affirm, that fifth A ask, in there. Advise and advocate. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. And, and as you said, that is is something that people can start doing even right now in their yeah, relationships. Right. Start thinking about these four A's. I wanted to shift a little bit to talk about sure. the message that you just shared with us. Um, at Saddleback. And so you're talking about um, Psalm 23 under the guise of this message and keeping your soul sane. So I wanted to just start by talking, by asking you about the passage. It's such, it's such a famous passage, a well-known passage is a passage yep. probably every pastor has spent a lot of time in thinking about. So what mm -hmm. I'm curious about is how has your thinking of Psalm 23 changed over time? Well, you're right. Almost every pastor has 
spent time thinking about it. I, um, when I bumped into this a few months ago, when I was in the middle of my own job transition, yeah. uh, which is one, one of the struggles of this message, Jason, is, um, you know, for me, it was so life altering to have this hard left turn in my career. Yeah. And I recognize that every person that's listening has gone through some kind of career change. And it's usually not the most uh, life-changing situation. For me, it was very life-changing. But um, a lot of times a job change is very, you know, oh, I just click on a different Zoom link on Monday (laughs) than the one I clicked on on Friday. So I know sometimes it's not a big deal, but for me, it was a huge deal. So I was very reluctant to even talk about it because I know that um, it's, uh, I don't know, what's that term? Small potatoes, you know, it might be small potatoes as compared to a lot of the difficult things that uh, a lot of people are going through. I think it's speaking to something that I'm sure a lot of people are in or have been through. After you've invested 20 years, I think you said, um, mm-hmm. into some into a church and specifically, which is rarely spend, spending 20 years invested in a family to make a change from that is is a big deal. It changes every almost pretty much every element of your life outside of your family and your relationship with God. Everything else then has probably shifted. So I'm sure as you're going through Psalm 23, it, it, as you do in the message, it speaks to that in a new way, right? Yeah, what do we call this? The the great resignation, the great reconsideration. I've heard, I've heard a whole bunch of, of phrases around it. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I do think, I think you're right. I think there is there is a part of it that's really relevant to so many people because we're all in the middle of all, asking all those existential questions of, mm-hmm. am I in the right place? Am I doing yeah. the right thing? Am I where I'm supposed to be? All those things. I think uh, to your question of how do I think differently about it, the... Um, the idea of God making me lie down in green pastures, mm. the idea of walking through the darkest valley or the valley of the shadow of death, I think that was the part that was the most, oh my goodness, I had not seen that before. Mm. Uh, but I I knew, you know, I, I just hadn't looked at the words enough to know, okay, why does God have to make me yeah. lie down? I shouldn't have to be made to lie down in the green pasture. But for me, I like progress. I like work. I like doing things on my own because it makes me feel in control. When I'm lying down in the green pasture, I have to submit to his control. When I'm in the darkest valley, my tendency is to want to lie down because discouragement says, quit, stop. You can't do it enough. But I got to walk. I got to get up and take steps and walk. And so that, that, reversal of those two phrases that I I think my tendency is to run through the green pasture and to lie down in the dark valley. But David is reminding us, no, 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 no. The good shepherd, my shepherd, he invites me to lie down in the green pasture and then to walk through the darkest valley. So I think Mm. that that enlightenment for me was the, oh my goodness, I have not seen this before. And you know how God works. I mean, he brings the scripture that's so familiar to us. Yeah. He, he enlightens us in new ways at just the right moments when, when we're going through a job transition or a health scare or uh, whatever it may be. So that was the that was the big aha for me. So what else in this season uh, uh, has God been teaching you? It's been obviously being in a season of transition is allows for just kind of 
openness in all different areas. It just, you know, sure. your day to day is different. So, so, so what is something that God has been teaching you in this season? Well, the first, you know, the first uh, crisis of career that I, <laughs> that I bumped into when I moved from working from this, for this great church that yeah. I'd been working with for 20 years to working on my own was this um, identity crisis, mm. you know, of, uh, oh my goodness, what does this say about me now? How do I introduce myself? <laughs> sure. Um, I, you know, so easy to lean on what I do, even in conversation, just to make conversation. So, um, I think I used to feel like, oh, well, I need to stake my identity in who Jesus says I am and not in what I do. I, I, I've said all those things. That's easier to say when you're firmly uh, planted in one yeah. particular profession. Um, I think my new realization is that it is almost impossible to not let your job leak into your identity. Um, if you're a dentist and you've been a dentist for 20 years and all of a sudden you become a construction worker, yeah. that's going to be a crisis. I mean, that's not going to be easy for you to all of a sudden change that and just be like, oh, well, I'm still Jason. You know, that's who I've always been. No, of course it's going to be um, a big deal to you. So the idea that we would just um, completely define ourselves based on who God says we are and not based on what we do on a day-to-day -day basis. It's, it's almost impossible to do, yeah. but I've also realized the importance of it over and over again, that ultimately who I am to other people is not near important, near as important as who my father says I am mm -hmm. and who my father says I am is a chosen child of his. And that is, what I've got to let drive me and fill me up and where I've got to measure myself based on and not um, what am I doing on a day-to-day -day basis to provide for our family. So that, uh, the realization that it's almost impossible to do it, but I ought to continue to strive to do it. It is, uh, it's a conundrum, but it is something that I have been in the middle of. Well, and that's, it's, some, it's something that we don't necessarily think often about, as you said, like while we're rooted, while we're grounded, you know, is we feel like we're pretty set, but when things start getting stripped away or peeled back, that's where, you know, it's, it's like the classic idea of the onion. As you peel back those layers and you get to mm -hmm. the bulb, you know, is, is you really start to see this is where my identity is And identity. As we are learning more and more about, we see more and more books around identity and more and more, um, research that's being done into how the brain thinks about identity and the importance of that is it's really for, it's really as Christians, it gives us the opportunity to say, okay, I need to work on that now, even while I'm rooted, even while I feel, you know, I feel yes. secure in this stuff. I need to spend time on that now of really showing in really um, accepting and embracing mm. my identities that can't change and knowing that other things can. Yeah, that's well said. I mean, Jason, first of all, you are a fabulous podcast interviewer. Oh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> here's what, here's the two spectrums that I've experienced on podcasts. One, you get a lot of podcast interviewers that want to talk the entire time and you're like, well, you should just <laughs> have so, a monologue. I'm so glad I was here. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and then two, you get some that don't say anything that just ask questions, but you have a terrific a, uh, as the Brits say, a lovely balance of interjection <laughs> and also questions. I appreciate that, Clay. 
<laughs> well, thank you. You clearly done this 260 times. It's, or whatever. it's been a while. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, I, I would say, um, you know, the, the, probably the, the best thing that's helped me with identity is, uh, I was speaking at a men's event, uh, maybe five years ago and I bumped into a guy, you know, he's a, he's a, he's been a mentor of mine for years. He actually passed away last year. It's mm. been one of the greatest losses for mm. my own life, but, um, I'll never forget bumping into him right before this event started. And I said, Reggie, quick, I'm about to speak on identity. What did you say about identity? And he said, and it was, it was like a Yoda moment where he was like, listen to me. Identity is best when it's ascribed to us. Mm. And I was like, huh? Wow. I have not thought about it that way. But it really is. I mean, to, to try to determine on my own who I am is almost impossible. But the lie sometimes that we believe is that, okay, then I'm going to, I'm going to let other people determine who I am. Yeah. And that's not great either. But the brilliant third option is to have this creator of ours who made us, who designed us to let him ascribe to us who we are. Mm. And I think that's when we're at our best, when when what God says about me is what is most important to me, that's when I am at my best. Uh, not when I determine for myself who I am, not when I let other people tell me who I am, but when I let my creator tell me who I am. And, and more importantly than that, when I let what he says about me be most important to me, that's when I'm at my best. So I, um, I do think the more we research identity, the more we try to understand it, I think the more we're going to find we do need someone to ascribe it to us, but caution to the one who lets others do that. Uh, but proceed to the one who lets the Almighty do that. Mm, I like that. So we always like to um, end our episodes, especially with guests, by just asking what books or podcasts have you been reading or listening to lately that you would recommend to our listeners? It could be about anything. My favorite leadership book is leadership and self-deception by the Arbinger Institute. Okay. Um, short little book. It's fable. It's written like a fable, but, um, it's been so helpful for me because in this season, I I've, I've never, I've never really been in sales before, but now that I'm working for myself, I've had this, um, temptation to see every relationship as some kind of sales relationship, which I don't, I don't like that. I don't, I don't want to feel that way, but, um, the Arbinger Institute in this book, leadership and self-deception taught me that everyone, whether you say it or not, everyone knows how you feel about them. They can just feel it. They can instinctually feel how you actually feel about them. And it's just reminded me that if I can stop and pause and pray even and ask the spirit of God to lead me in every meeting, every relationship to make sure that I care about this person most, that I connect with this person, that the sales part of it will take care of itself, that uh, I won't need to sell. Um, That's probably been that, that book has been a, it's been on my shelf for 10 years or so. I've probably Mm -hmm. read it three times in the last 10 years, but that, that little quote, that little phrase um, has come back to me a number of times over the past six months. Um, leading with a limp, Dan Allender. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dan Allender, 
is the author of Leading with a Limp. He's the president of a university or college. But um, that idea was that the idea of that book was really instrumental for me. He wrote that book probably 15 years ago. But okay. I think that is. Um, I think it's a it's a futuristic book. Mm. I think it's more. I think that book will be even more true in the future than it was in the past. The idea that we are able to lead with vulnerability. Yeah. They, people don't want a perfect leader. They want a real leader. They don't want a perfect leader. They want someone who's an authentic leader. That's good. It doesn't mean sharing every struggle that you're in the middle of right now, <laughs> but it does mean that we're willing to talk about the things about ourselves that we're not even comfortable with or the things about ourselves that we wish were different or the parts that we don't even haven't even worked out yet. Mm. Uh, I think that's the kind of leader that we're all looking for in the future. So that book has been very instrumental for me as well. That's kind of an older book, but um, am I, yeah, that's great. am I, no, that's can, perfect. Can I stop there or should I just continue? That's perfect. <laughs> that's perfect. We'll put those books um, in the show notes. We also want to make sure that we talk about um, clay. You have the how to lead podcast. So we'll put the links to that in here Great. as well. And, uh, and your books also, we already talked about um, how to lead when you're not in charge, the aspiring leaders guide to the future. And then of course there's how to lead in a world of distractions. So all of these we'll put in the show notes as well. Clay, I just want to thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. This was great. And again, really glad that you were here at Saddleback with us this weekend. Hey, Jason, thanks for what you do. And really grateful to get to be a part of it. Grateful to get to be a part of your church, even just for a weekend. It was certainly a blast. <laughs> that was the best. Well, I, I'm I, hopefully... We'll get to talk with you again uh, in the future. I'd love that. I hope so too. <laughs> All right. Th th thanks, Clay. If you enjoyed this episode, consider giving us a rating or a review on iTunes. If you do, you'll help other people find us in the future. You can also listen to these episodes on YouTube. Just subscribe to the Saddleback Church YouTube channel for these conversations, plus lots of other video content. And if you are already listening to us on YouTube, subscribe to the Doable Discipleship Podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app so you can listen in the car or wherever else you go. Don't forget to visit saddleback.com slash doable to check out all of our previous episodes. And go to saddleback.com slash grow to find spiritual growth resources and view a calendar of upcoming events. Lastly, you can always get in touch with us by emailing maturity at saddleback.com. Send us your thoughts, send us your questions, your Bible questions, your life questions, whatever. Who knows? Your question might just inspire an upcoming episode. Thanks again for tuning in to Doable Discipleship. I'm Jason Whelan, and I hope you'll join us again next week.